0: Hey, so good to see you all today, and uh, if you're visiting with us, again, if this is your first time with us, we're so thankful that you've come to spend the morning with us. We pray that you encounter God and that the Lord touches your life in a wonderful way. That's what we want, isn't it, church? We want all of our visitors to encounter Jesus. And for those who are watching online, we're so thankful that you're with us. We've got so many people watching us on Facebook and on YouTube. And during the week, people come in to watch on Catch Up and listen to what's being preached. But we're just really thankful that you've joined with us again today. And please, please, please feel free to comment, just as people here, if I say something that's a little bit all right, they go, "Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. You can do that by pressing a love heart. You can do that by just going, that was good. Pastor Mark and Sarah are there online right now, live, to talk to you and to cheer you on. So make sure that you're not just watching, but you're being a part of what we're doing here today. Well, I had the privilege last week of being in Wales, and uh, we just had an incredible meeting where we just saw people getting saved and life's being touched, and that's always wonderful. But I couldn't help it. On the way back, I just turned on the service from here, because I was so excited that last week we started this new focus, this new series together, called House of prayer. So I was coming back down the motorway and I had it plugged into my car and I was listening to Gina open up and just lay those foundations of what prayer is. Didn't she do a good job? I thought it was brilliant. <clears throat> yeah, I was sitting there in the car going, good job, Gina. Good job. That was really that was really good. But we started this series it's not a series, it's our focus now. All of our congregations, those meeting in person, those who are with us online, we're all concentrating at this moment on seeing the Lord help us to understand prayer in a more powerful way than what we've understood it. Key verses that we're looking at is that moment when, when Jesus says, I want my house, my church, my people to be a house of prayer. What does that mean? Not a religious place of ceremony, but a place filled with praying people. And also the other key verse that we're going to keep mentioning during this time together is that one that where God promises, he says, if you will humble yourself and pray. Listen, it says, I will hear you. Humility always precedes true prayer. When we say, listen, it's not about how I feel. I'm going to pray like God asked me to pray. And he says he'll heal me, he'll save me, and he'll heal my land. I believe that as we begin to push in to understand prayer in a greater way, that's going to have an effect in people's lives personally. It is in mine already. I felt a freshness on my prayer life this week. But also, as we humble ourselves and say, Holy Spirit, teach us to pray. As we open scripture to learn how to pray, I believe that that's going to have an effect on Portsmouth. Come on. He said he will heal our land. So Gina laid a great foundation last week. And I love the way that she explained, just really simply, because that's what we want to do with this series, what prayer is. But also, I loved how she spoke about where prayer started. That prayer started in the Garden of Eden. I loved that point, didn't you? I loved that point that said, it started in the Garden of Eden as a conversation between a creator God and those he had created in his image. And still today, prayer is to be a conversation, a two-way conversation with God. I also loved that bit last week where she said, We sometimes think things could be too small or too big for God, but to God everything is tiny. Didn't you love that point? No problem, no mountain is too big to a God who created all things. Also, we looked last week, and there's going to be a lot of linking in over the next few weeks between the subjects and the speakers. But Gina spoke about how we need to have faith in our prayers, that we believe that he is and he's the one that answers prayer. But we need to be relational in our prayer. And we also need to know that when we're praying, we're praying to a God who's good. Are you all right today? Some of you are a little bit tired out there. you okay? Yeah. We pray to a God who's good. God is good. Amen. Now, I want to dig a little bit further today in the subject of how to pray. Because when we discover our need... prayer and the privilege that we have to have a prayer life what a privilege that we can have open conversation with god almighty come on there's no greater privilege than that when we understand our need and the privilege we have to pray we're then faced with this next question are we praying correctly because we can know that we're meant to pray But the next obvious question for me on our journey is, okay, I'm praying, but am I praying correctly? Am I praying effectively? When I pray, does that cause things to happen? Do I hear God respond when I pray? So again, ever so simply today, we wanna look at this subject and understand we can get the answer to are we praying correctly from a number of places, can't we? I wrote a few here. We could look to the prayer experts or the prayer gurus. And uh, you know sometimes I love it when people are just anointed, and they are prayer gurus. They just know like James Aladrin and guys like that from Prayer Storm. They know some things about prayer, and they can teach us about prayer. So prayer experts are brilliant, books or media on prayer are really good, but again, to any book or media that you read or listen to, there's always gonna be the element of human. So always be conscious when you're reading what other people teach about something to understand that only the word of God is 100% pure and true. Other teaching on prayer contained in scripture. Jesus wasn't the only one to teach on prayer. There's lots of different teachings by the different apostles, Old Testament, New Testament, on how we can pray and the power of our prayers. But I also believe that we should look to Jesus to teach us how to pray. Because I don't know someone who walked the earth, who had a prayer life like Jesus. I was reading in my devotions yesterday in Matthew where it says, and when Jesus heard about John the Baptist, his cousin being killed by Herod, he went off to a lonely place and spent time with the Father. That was a prayer life. Later on, it said that after ministering to the people, he went off to a lonely place. He didn't go to be lonely. He went to be alone with God. Now, Jesus, I really believe, teaches us some simple things about having an effective prayer life. Now... His disciples, and when we talk about disciples, we talk about his first followers, the early first followers, they were everyday people like you and me. I know that some of the artists have portrayed them as these old men with little round glasses that looked like they know everything. They weren't. They were a bunch of people making it up as they went along that were pretty similar to you and me, fishermen, tax collectors, doctors. But they were people who had also experienced prayer. Maybe you have. They'd watched for religious prayer. These were Jewish people who would sin prayer in the synagogue. They'd sin the Pharisee, the Sadducee, the couldn't see, the wouldn't see. They'd sin every kind of see, praying. Yet all of a sudden they come to Jesus with a very simple question. Lord, would you teach us? pray and i love that now that verse is found in luke 11 verse 1 and it says now jesus was praying in a certain place and when he finished one of his disciples said to him lord teach us to pray as john taught his disciples now obviously some of the people that were the disciples of jesus had formerly been disciples of John the Baptist. And they'd obviously said, well, when we were with John, he taught us how to pray. So now one of the disciples comes to Jesus and says, listen, the guys that once walked with John, your pre-runner, your forerunner, the prophet who went before you announcing your coming, they tell us that he taught them to pray. So Jesus, will you teach us to pray? Now, we see the answer and it's called the Lord's Prayer. People debate whether it's the Lord's Prayer or the Disciples Prayer. I don't really care. It's a prayer that the Lord taught his followers. Now, it came from the Lord, so it's the Lord's Prayer. But it was for the benefit of the disciples. So it was their prayer, wasn't it? Now, to see the answer, I want us to leave Luke and go to Matthew. Because the Lord's Prayer is recorded in two of the four Gospels. And it's recorded in Luke, and it's recorded in Matthew. In Luke, we see the disciples ask Jesus, very honestly, will you teach us to pray? Will you show us how to have an effective prayer life? But when we look in Matthew, we see a more expansive response from Jesus to that request. Now, let me read to you from Matthew 6, verse 5 to 13. It says, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in synagogues and on corners of streets that they may be seen by men. Assuredly, I say to you, they've already had their reward. But you, when you pray, go into your room, and when you shut the door, pray to your Father who's in the secret place And your father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And when you pray, do not use vain repetitions like the unsaved or the heathen do. For they think they will be heard by many words. Therefore, don't be like them. For your father knows the things you need before you ask him. Now, that's a little bit of a how-to part of what we're teaching. And I'm going to leave that for Sean to do next week. Because in that, we hear Jesus talking to us about what our personal prayer life should look like. So Sean's gonna carry on next week, Pastor Sean's gonna carry on, and he's gonna teach on how to build a personal prayer life. I want to zoom in on how he taught concerning the content of prayer. So the first part of his response is how to pray, where to pray. But then he begins to teach the content of the most well-known prayer that we've all heard before called the Lord's Prayer. And we see within this prayer, I want to call it a framework and a pattern of how we, like the disciples then, can pray in an effective way. Now, when we talk about the Lord's Prayer, I don't ever believe it was meant to be a religious recital. But that's all it's become to many of us. We learned it in school. We learned it in churches that we went to. In moments when we said, come on everybody, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. You've heard the Lord's Prayer. But I don't believe for a minute that Jesus was teaching it to be a religious thing recited in a ceremonial type setting. But rather, it was a pattern that showed us key ingredients to our prayer life. Would you like to look at these ingredients with me? Number one, it starts with identification. Our Father. Now, let me read this response of Jesus to you. In verse 9, he says, In this manner pray, therefore, our Father in heaven, So let's look at what Jesus teaches us first. He says, it starts with our Father. Now, I'm going to teach stuff today that you've heard before, but maybe something that I share today, lights something afresh in you. So let's have ears to hear, amen? So our Father, it's about identification. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he did not teach them to pray, my Father, but our Father. This reminds us that we are God's sons and daughters together in Christ. We're not isolated individuals doing our own thing. Aren't you glad that Jesus started the prayer? Not pray to my father. When you pray, pray our father. What was Jesus saying? He's your father too. In teaching us to call God father... Jesus also tells us that we have the privilege to call God the same name that's used in intimate relationship that he has. I love that. You know, I teach a course in Forge called Sonship, that when we understand that God has called us to be his sons and daughters, it changes everything. Amen. Now, our father positions us correctly, relationally that when we pray, we're not talking to a faceless God, we're not talking to an urban legend, we're not talking to a concept, an ideology, we're talking to a very real creator God who doesn't see us as servants, but sees us as his children. So when we approach God, we should approach him seeing him as the best father, has ever been all right pastor Andy well I've got a problem with that my father on earth was rubbish well actually we're all included because for you to think that your earthly father was rubbish you must have an internal belief of what a great father is otherwise you wouldn't be able to compare your father to someone to gain the thought that your father was rubbish so no one's excluded think of what the best father could ever be and then accelerate it by eternity. And you have Father God. And when we pray, we don't come religiously, but relationally to a father greater than any other father who's a good, good father, and we talk to him as his children. Now, the next bit is hallowed be your name. This is about adoration. So father is about identification. When we say hallowed be your name, We're adoring him for who he is. Because what Jesus actually teaches us in the Lord's Prayer is content, but also etiquette. Everybody understand what etiquette is? The right way to approach someone. And what Jesus is teaching us is he is your father, but don't let familiarity become your enemy. He's still the creator and almighty God. So when you approach him, approach him as your father, but also hallowed him, worship him for being almighty God. Now, the word hallowed means consecrated, revered, honored, to make holy. We don't make God holy. He makes us holy. But when we say hallowed be your name, we say you are separated from every other. You are pure. You are holy. That one word, hallowed be your name, says you are consecrated. There's none like you. You deserve all the praise. You deserve all the honor. So maybe you don't want to use the word hallowed. That's okay. You won't lose points. You could say brilliant, fantastic, amazing awesome is your name because the Lord's prayer isn't a religious recital it's a pattern of how we approach God and the way that we should pray amen now notice it doesn't start with here's my shopping list (laughs) and that's what prayer was for me a lot of years it was like hey God how you doing right this is what you need to do for me this is the problems I'm facing what are you going to do about it there's no etiquette of respect in that approach now, God, in his grace and his kindness, he lets us do it until we know better, all right? No condemnation. But there is a place for asking in the Lord's prayer, but it comes after acknowledging who he is and giving him the reverence and the honor he deserves. Jesus is teaching us how to pray in a way that will get results. And he says, number one, see him as your father. Number two, approach him as the one who's above all others. Which means we don't approach with our shopping list. We approach with praise and thanksgiving. Psalm 104, uh, 100 verse 4 says, We enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. So when we come in to the presence of God to spend time with God in a relational setting, we come in with thanksgiving Thank you for all you've done, God. Thank you for, I'm breathing today. Thank you for your goodness over my life. God, I look back for a moment and I'm filled with thanks. I praise you that you are high above all things. That's the etiquette of prayer. But then later on, we let him know the things in our life that we need. But there's an order Jesus is teaching us to prayer. Now, number three, your kingdom come, your will be done. So we've looked at the aspect of identification. Number two, adoration. This one's about submission and consecration. So we've approached him, we've acknowledged his authority, his rule and reign. Now we're saying, your kingdom, kingdom means rule and reign. Your kingdom come, not just in life, but in my life, and your will be done. Okay, this first part, kingdom come, Has got a twofold meaning when we pray it. Number one, we're praying for the coming of the kingdom of God here and now through our lives. Because the kingdom of God isn't just among us. According to what Jesus taught, the kingdom of God is in us. When we pray for someone, when we love somebody, when we stand against injustice, the kingdom of God. Comes or manifests itself through the lives that we now live for God. But also, it means at the same time that we're praying for the glorious return of Jesus Christ, which we call the beginning of the millennial reign. Now, as a church, we believe in the second coming of Jesus Christ. We also, I believe, in the rapture, which means without warning, Without any previous advance to let you know, like a thief in the night, Jesus Christ will return for his church. The church will be called up to be with him for seven years. On the earth, there will be seven years of tribulation. The first three and a half mild, the last three and a half ferocious. People that want to be um, around for the rapture, I don't want to be with you. It's horrific. But God calls his church to be with him. And after seven years, he returns for the millennial reign where he rules on earth and restores all things, okay, eschatology. When we pray your kingdom come, we say, Lord, we know you're coming back. Number one, in the rapture, thank you that I'll be caught up in the sky to be with you. Number two, thank you that there's a day in the Father's calendar where you will physically rule on the earth, Jesus, your kingdom come everybody with me now it's amazing that sometimes we forget the reality of the second coming but it is a reality but we also sometimes forget the reality of rapture that's why I believe my role as a pastor is to make you rapture ready so that when Jesus says now you're caught up in the sky to meet him you haven't got to remain in tribulation to prove your affection towards him all right Now, we actually included this in our songs. Did you know I found this out recently? Every Christmas, which is coming soon, about 90 days, I believe, we sing that wonderful song, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, let earth receive its king. Do you know the writer never meant it to be a Christmas carol about his first coming? He wrote it off of the back of Psalm 98 about the second coming of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? We sit there every Christmas, nothing wrong with that. Joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive its king. But actually, the writer was referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Now, the good news is I'm happy about the first coming, and I'm over the moon about the second, so I'm not going to get disqualified for singing it at Christmas. But we've got to have in our consciousness that Jesus is coming back. That should affect our life. That should affect how we live. Next year, I want to teach a little bit on end times. Because I want us to be a people that don't have question marks. And we're living lives now, ready for when he calls us to be with him. Amen? Would that be good? Okay. Now, when we look at this, we also understand we recognize his kingdom coming, his rule and reign in our lives now, but also in his second coming. But also it says, and your will be done. Because as followers of Jesus Christ, we now daily lay down our will for his. So when we pray, my Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, what we're saying is, God, it's no longer about my will, but it's about yours. God, I consecrate my life for what you want, no longer for what I want. That's in my spirit, my career, my body, my my finances, my family, every section of who I am. Now, this is also when we pray and we bring our will into alignment with his will. What's a beautiful picture of this, the Lord Jesus Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane. A few weeks ago, I was in the Garden of Gethsemane with Gina and it's the original Garden of Gethsemane, there's some olive trees there called the 12 witnesses that are over two and a half, three thousand years old, and they were there when Jesus was praying. Isn't that amazing? There's so much about Israel that really you don't know if it was there or not, but the Garden of Gethsemane, absolutely. And in that garden, Jesus prayed when all hell was going to let loose on his body, when when the torment that belonged to us, the punishment that belonged to us, was going to whip ferociously upon his physical body like the waves on the seashore in the moments before he could have said I don't want to do it yet he prays that powerful prayer God if there's any way that you can do this any other way because he knew what was coming but then he said yet not my will be done but yours see when we pray that we acknowledge the kingdom of God to what we now belong but also we say I have a will And often my will is not the same as yours. My will takes care of me. Your will takes care of others. My will feeds my desires. Your will causes me to grow and be transformed. God, I pray today. We haven't even asked him for anything yet in the cerebral. God, your kingdom come. Your will be done over mine. Now, then it gets into um, this bit where it says, Forgive us our debts as we, forget, uh, as we forgive. Uh, sorry, give us today our daily bread. I lost my bit there, didn't I? Let me just go back, check. I haven't lost anything there. So your kingdom come, your will be done. The next bit says, give us today our daily bread. This is about supplication and provision. So we've approached him. We've acknowledged who he is. We've honored him for who he is. We've consecrated our will To his, God, your will be done, your kingdom come. And then we begin to talk about our daily lives. Now listen to what it says. Give us today our daily bread. This is supplication and provision. The next part, give us, expresses our trust in our heavenly father. Our daily bread refers to the earthly things that we need. But also when we pray this, we're praying for the spiritual things that we need remember man doesn't live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the father so in this point we're now saying Lord I bring before you my needs God you know what I need before I ask but you also promise that I can make petition and be heard but I'm not making that the front of the queue I'm bringing it in its correct place is that good Now, Lord, thank you today for my daily bread. Give me today my daily bread. Now, this is about, give me what I need for daily life. You're my provider. You're my provision. But also spiritually, give me the bread from heaven that I need to keep growing and transforming. Now, this is the route after praying that we make our needs known. And again, like I said, the Lord's prayer was never meant to be religious recital. I actually have changed this a little bit. I hope that's okay. It works for me. I don't ask him. I thank him. So when I do the Lord, i committed my life to him. He knows what I need. So when I pray, I don't repeat prayers that I've prayed because he's not deaf and he doesn't have memory issues. So when I pray this and it concerns something like daily provision, I've moved from ask to thank you. Thank you today, Lord, for my daily bread. Thank you, you've made provision for everything I need in my life. What am I doing? I'm adding faith to the prayer. Then it moves on to the next bit. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is about intercession. Some translations say debts, others say trespasses, others say sins, small s. We ask for God's mercy for the times that we have fallen short of loving God and loving our neighbor, and for when we've just done stuff wrong. Anybody ever done stuff wrong this week, today? Keep your hands lifted. Yeah, all right. We we do, all right? Now, when it's saying forgive us our sin, he's not talking about the sin nature that separated us from him that we received in Adam. That's big sin. That's a nature that's cut off when you're born again, all right? He's talking about little sins, which are the stupid behaviors that we all do, that we know we shouldn't. Oh, you're talking about adultery and drugs. No, I'm talking about pride. Because when it comes to small s, stupid things we all do that aren't in alignment with kingdom culture. Pride, arrogance, unforgiveness, not being kind, adultery. All of, there's, there's a huge list. So when we come to the Father and we say, forgive me my sin, it's not a salvation prayer because we've already received his forgiveness for sin. Otherwise, the Holy Spirit couldn't live in us, right? A sinful people couldn't be with a sinless God. How well did Jesus save us that now the Holy Spirit lives in us? So sin, capital S, the nature was sorted when you were born again. Yet we all do dumb, stupid things. It's those things that we say, forgive me, my sins. As I forgive those who sin against me. Oh no, I've just ruined it for some of you. Because you want it coming up from upstairs to downstairs. But Jesus says it will be in alignment with what you give out. Forgive me my blow-ups, forgive me my stupids, as I forgive those who have blown up, been stupid, or treated me wrong. See, Jesus says, don't just be having a relationship in prayer this way. Don't ask me for forgiveness if you won't forgive that way. With the measure you show, I will gladly give back to you. And he teaches that in other parables. So this isn't a moment of salvation where we say, God, forgive my sin. He already forgave that when you believed in Jesus, you became a new creation, you were born again. The old you passed away and you became brand new by his grace. It's just, that's why daily it's like, God, I know I did a bunch of stupid things yesterday. I thought a bunch of stupid things. Forgive me. God, give me that fresh, that fresh slate today. Thank you that your mercy is new every morning. And I also choose to forgive anyone any sin or trespass that they've done me. All right. Now it's horizontal, diagonal. All right. Then you've got this one, which says, lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil. This is about protection. And again, people get confused because they're familiar with James 1.13, where it says, he can't tempt you. So people are like, well, what do you mean? Lead us not into temptation. When James and other places clearly teaches that God won't tempt you, why would we ask God to not lead us in temptation when James clearly says that God does not tempt us with evil? He says he doesn't tempt us with evil. So what's going on here? Simple. In this part, we are asking God to not allow us to take the pathways that lead to sin. We're praying for avoidance of the paths that we shouldn't be on. Again, when I pray this, I say, Lord, I thank you. Keep me from temptations I don't need to know. God, keep me from walking on pathways that don't go in your direction. God, let your good hand keep me from the schemes of the enemy and the plans of the enemy of my soul. God, would you be the keeper of my foot? You know, one thing I've always loved is Psalm 121, verse 3. It says, for surely you kept my foot from slipping. Man, when I look back over my life, the last 30 years of walking with him, there were so many times I could have slipped up. There were so many times I could have blown it. There were so many times I was inch away from the most stupid decisions of my life. Yet there was someone constantly in the background keeping my foot from slipping so when I pray keep me from temptation lead me not into temptation I'm not thinking that God is going to tempt me with evil because God won't tempt you with evil I'm praying God keep me from the plans and the schemes of the enemy is that good and then it finishes obviously with this statement yours is the kingdom the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. That's a declaration that actually wasn't a part of the original prayer. It was added centuries later. That's why some Bibles include it and some Bibles don't. What we've read about the Lord's Prayer is everything that Jesus taught. But this final statement is something that people added a few centuries later. Now, does that mean it's no good? No, it's a great statement and a brilliant way of ending a phenomenal prayer. Yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. I choose to include it because it's a godly declaration that says, Yours is my kingdom. I'm a part of your kingdom. Your power is my power. Your ability is my ability. I have alignment to your kingdom rule and reign. I just think it's a brilliant declaration. But if you don't want to do it because it's not in the original, then don't do it. But I don't believe there's any harm in including it. So it sits well for me as a final declaration of identification with, Lord, yours is the kingdom. And I'm a part of that kingdom. When I pray this in the shower or in the car, wherever I'm praying, I say, yours is the kingdom and I'm a part of that kingdom. Yours is the glory and the power. And I live for your glory and your power forever and ever. Amen. So again, as we close, I hope this has been helpful. God wants to deliver the Lord's Prayer from being a religious recital, to being a root and a really good plan of content of what your prayer life should include let's go through it again our father it's about who he is who art in heaven hallowed be your name i give you the praise and the honor that you're due your kingdom come Lord, I acknowledge your kingdom coming through me and your second coming to the earth. Your will be done. I bow my life now to your will. Thank you today for my daily bread. Forgive me my mishaps. Forgive me my stupids as I forgive others that have been stupid against me. Keep me from the plans of the enemy and anything that comes to tempt me away from your intentions. For yours is the kingdom forever the power and the glory, amen. Well, I thought that today a good way of ending would be for us to say the Lord's Prayer together. Now, like I said, it isn't a recital, but there's nothing wrong when a group of people that love Jesus want to pray this together either. I'm not saying don't ever say it in a group again. I'm saying say it as many times as you can because every time you say it, you remind yourself of the content of it. But I just thought it would be brilliant. In a couple of moments, I'm going to give an opportunity for anyone that doesn't know Jesus to receive Jesus as Lord. But I want you to follow with me. I'm going to put this on the screen if a if guys can put this on the screen, and we're going to read this together in a couple of, uh, if you wind down to our Father in heaven. Are we there? Okay. Are you ready? Okay. One, two, three. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation But deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. That's fantastic. If you're here today and you've never received Jesus, Jesus doesn't want you to experience a religion. Maybe you're watching online. Maybe you're here in person. Jesus wants a relationship with you just like Pastor Gina said last week prayer started as a conversation between God and those he made in his image and that's all that prayer is still today but maybe you're here or you're watching online and you say I don't belong to Jesus I've never received him as my Lord and Savior I've never received him as my king I need to receive his forgiveness for my sin nature. I need to be born again. I need to start a relationship with him. We're going to pray a simple prayer. Would you all pray with me? And if you're watching at home, feel free to pray as well. Heavenly Father, thank you for forgiving my sin because of the blood of Jesus. But the blood of Jesus cancels out everything that disqualified me I receive you Jesus as Lord and Saviour and I welcome you into my life fill me with your Holy Spirit and let a new life begin just my every eyes closed every heads bowed If you're here today and you've never prayed that prayer or you've been away from God, but something's prompted you, it's time to come home. Maybe that's because Jesus is getting ready to return. But you prayed that prayer and you say, yeah, I prayed that for me. I'm going to ask you to do one more thing for me. I'm going to count to three and I'm going to ask you, if you prayed that prayer for you because you've never known him, you're coming back to him, Here, where we're gathering, at home, wherever you're watching. I'm going to ask you if you would lift your hand boldly to declare that that was me. One, two, three. God bless you, sir. i see your hand. Anybody else today, you say, I don't know where I stand with God. Well, you can leave today knowing where you stand with God. We can remove all the question marks. If you're watching at home, just write on the chat there or contact Pastor Sarah. Anybody else today? Everybody a God lover. Everybody love Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Father, I pray today for this man who's responded that truly kingdom would come in such a powerful way. Father, for those who are watching online, that your presence would flood where they are, flood their living rooms, flood their homes. Lord, I thank you, Lord Jesus, that you taught us to pray. Now continue to teach us, Holy Spirit, to pray as we should. Let me just speak this blessing over you. If you're here today or you're watching online, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine on you and be glorious to you, gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you great peace. Amen. Well, we're gonna come back next week and we're gonna continue our conversation called House of Prayer. Have an amazing week, God bless.